All right, all right, settle down, settle down. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. I want to thank Jeremy and Rachel for leading us in worship this morning. Jordan is, uh, Jordan's out of town this week, and they graciously uh, stepped in to lead. Some of y'all know Jeremy, uh, longtime friends of the Vista. Uh, in fact, Jeremy's parents were very instrumental in this church even getting started. They allowed the core group to meet in their homes and, and helped get things organized. His dad, Daryl, was one of our very first elders. Uh, his sister, Elizabeth Orbiz, sings in our band from time to time. And so, uh, again, many of you already know Jeremy, but we're grateful for him and Rachel to step in today and lead us in worship. Um, just a fantastic job. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 37. We're starting a new series called Living the Dream. We're going to be looking through this summer, a nine-week series, we're going to be walking through the life of this pivotal Old Testament character named Joseph. Um, and just so you know, here at the Vista, I think we say this when we start a new series, we try to have some diversity in our teaching. And so what that means is um, series will look different. We don't always do the same thing. And so sometimes we'll do a series that's very topical on a particular subject or topic, or, uh, you know, Austin just finished a series um, called Songs, where we were looking at uh, music, and it's just a very topical thing. Sometimes we'll do a walk through the book, a book of the Bible, like we did this spring. We walked through uh, the Gospel of Luke. In the fall, we're going to be walking through Paul's letter to the Romans. Um, sometimes we'll have series around certain holidays, like Christmas, the Advent season. Uh, last year at Thanksgiving, we did a series called Grateful. Sometimes then we want to dive in and look at some characters. Um, what do their lives have to show us? What do their lives have to teach us? And we want to give you some Old Testament and some New Testament and, again, a, a healthy diet of God's Word. So we don't always sort of camp out in the same place. We don't always have the same uh, sort of style. Um, again, the goal is to diversify our teaching a little bit. So this summer, we're going to be exploring the life of Joseph. Uh, again, a very pivotal Old Testament character. Um, in fact, Genesis, about, about a fourth of the book of Genesis is devoted to the life of Joseph. There are more chapters in Genesis devoted to the life of Joseph than any other character in the book of Genesis. His life really bridges a gap for us uh, from Genesis to the Exodus. I mean, I'm sure you're all familiar with Exodus, right? Where Charlton Heston led God's people out of, out of Egypt, right? You know, Moses leads God's people out out of Egypt, but how did God's people get into Egypt? What were they even doing there in the first place? Well, Joseph's story uh, tells us all of that. Joseph's story is what teaches us um, how God's people grew and developed and, and how all that came, came to be. And so, again, his life uh, has a lot to show us. We're going to see Joseph grow into a man of great character, integrity, wisdom, but that's not exactly the picture we get in chapter 37. That's not exactly how it all starts out, okay? And so I want to walk through chapter 37 with you. Uh, this is, uh, again, it's really important that we get this chapter because it really sets the stage for the rest of the life of Joseph. And so I'll jump in and read the first four verses uh, to start. It says, Jacob, so that was Joseph's dad, he lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Now, Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. We'll talk about them in a moment. His father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. 
Now, Israel, that's another name for Jacob. Um, that's a name that God had given Jacob uh, several, chapters, several chapters back. It says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his other brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. The first thing that we see in chapter 37, and that we really need to not skip past, is that this is a very dysfunctional family, okay? This is an extremely dysfunctional family. Now, let's be honest. Uh, to some degree or another, all of our families are dysfunctional families, are they not? Like, you know why? That's because our families are full of people, and people are sinners, and whenever there is sinners, there is dysfunction, okay? And so, we, we all have this certain degree of dysfunction in our families because all of our families are full of sinners, and whenever there is sin, there is dysfunction. Joseph's family is like dysfunction on steroids, right? Like it is, it is crazy, crazy dysfunction, okay? We see that Jacob loved Joseph more than all of his other sons, and it says because he was the son of his old age. Uh, yes, that's true. Uh, he was a son of his old age, but he was also the son of his favorite wife, Rachel. Now, I don't think I need to preach a sermon on this, guys, but listen, if you have a favorite wife, there's already a problem, right? Ladies, if you have a favorite husband, we've already got a problem, right? You're just asking for trouble, okay? You can see the dysfunction when it's the favorite child of the favorite wife, okay? And, and so this causes just an unbelievable amount of jealousy and hatred and animosity, uh, bitterness towards uh, the siblings, all right? And I, I don't have time. I wish I had time to kind of go back in Genesis and, and unpack for you the depths uh, of everything going on, but uh, I, can, I can try to give you just the high-level view, and that is that Jacob loved Rachel. Jacob wanted to marry Rachel. So Jacob had to work for her father for seven years, and he was told, if you work for seven years, I will give you my daughter's hand in marriage. So he works for seven years but then there's sort of a trick played on him where he, he's actually given the wrong daughter, okay? He's, he's, given, he's given Leah, the, the other daughter, to marry. Surprise, right? Um, so then he, he has to work for seven more years to gain Rachel's hand in marriage, the wife he really wants, right? So he works for seven more years to get, to get his, his, his second wife, Rachel. Well, then the sisters have some sibling rivalry about who can have more offspring and produce children. And so essentially they get to a place where they're like, here, sleep with my servant girl. It'll kind of be like you're having kids with me. And they're like, no, no, sleep with my servant girl, Bilhah and Zilpah, right? So now you've got Jacob with four wives, okay? Kids with, kids with his four wives, and as a result, there's favoritism and animosity and hatred and all this stuff going on. Joseph's really in a difficult family situation. His, so then Rachel actually passes away, giving birth to Benjamin, Joseph's younger brother. Rachel, Joseph's mom, died when he was very, very young. And now he is in a blended family with four stepmoms that, that don't like him as much as they like their own children. And he's got a dad in Jacob who's somewhat passive, um, kind of, we're going to see in a minute, kind of out of touch with the family dynamics a little bit. But man, in his eyes, Joseph can do no wrong. 
Joseph is the favorite. He, he makes him a robe of many colors. Most of us, when we think of Joseph and the story, this is what we think of. Joseph and the coat of many colors. It was a sign of the favoritism of his father. This immaculate coat. You know, shepherds wore regular, plain old, one-colored robes. Not Joseph. He's got this dazzling coat of many colors that just shows how much his father loves him. And his siblings despised him for it. The end of verse 4 says that when they saw him, they, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. In other words, when they ran into Joseph, they had nothing nice to say. They were, every time they spoke, there was a fight. Some of you are like, that sounds like my family. No, it's, I mean, it was, it was again, sibling rivalry ratcheted up a notch, right? They despised Joseph because of the favoritism of his father. And then um, you might be thinking, well, that's not Joseph's fault. Joseph doesn't do himself any favors, okay? Joseph's going to have a few dreams. We call this series Live in the Dream because you're going to see Joseph's a dreamer. And Joseph has these uh, very clear, he has these dreams. Later in his story, he's going to interpret some dreams. He's, his life is the life of a dreamer. And he's going to have a couple of dreams that, quite frankly, he probably should have kept to himself, right? But he's going to tell his brothers about his dreams. So here we go in verse 5. Let's see the, the first dreams that Joseph has. It says, now Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him even more. Here's why. Verse 6. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheave arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheave. Oh, that's a great dream. <laughs> His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Verse 9, then he dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So you kind of get the picture of Joseph, right? He just, he just comes across in chapter 37 as this sort of arrogant, rather narcissistic, young, um, you know, tattletale, right? He just, he's telling on his brothers. He brings back a bad report. They're out working, and he's the younger brother, the favorite, wearing the, the colorful coat, you know. In, in his father's eyes, he can do no wrong, and he's just telling on him to his dad. And and then he's bragging about these dreams where they're going to come bow down to him and how much greater he is than they are. I mean, you can kind of see the brother's perspective here, can't you? A little bit. Probably some dreams he should have just kept to himself, right? He tells his brothers, they get even more jealous and more angry. And then we see in verse 12 that, again, we see the, the cluelessness of, of Jacob, the cluelessness of, of the father here. Verse 12, we'll go on. It says, Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel, again, or Jacob, said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, Here, am, here I am. So he said to him, Go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. And so he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he 
came to Shechem. Again, the father just doesn't seem to understand the family dynamics here. How much the brothers despise Joseph. And so he's like, hey, Joseph, won't you go check on your brothers again? Bring me back another report. Right? He's, he's essentially, uh, he doesn't really know it, but he's setting Joseph up for what's going to happen in his life. He sends Joseph again to check on his brothers, to bring back a report. Verse 15 says, and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? And he, he said, I'm seeking my brothers. He said, tell me, please, where they're pasturing the flock. And the man said, well, they've gone away, for I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and he found them at Dothan. So now we see the brothers aren't where they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be pasturing the flock near Shechem. And, and so Joseph goes and they're not there. There's a guy going, hey, I think I heard them going over to Dothan. So you get the picture. You know, the, the bratty little tattletale favorite brother is now going to find his older brothers who are supposed to be working, but they're, they're not really working. They're not really where they're supposed to be. The brothers are going to, they're going to see Joseph coming from a long way away thanks to the bright and colorful robe that daddy gave him. And they know they're going to be in trouble. They know that the report going back to their father is not going to be a good report. So, so verse 18 says, they saw him from afar and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we'll say a fierce animal has devoured him and we'll see what will become of his dreams. The great irony here is that the brothers think that by devising this plan, that they'll end the dreams of Joseph. Again, but the, but the irony is that their plan actually helps fulfill the dreams of Joseph. As we walk through his story and his life, you'll see that the dreams Joseph dreams here in chapter 37, they do indeed come true, and it's the brother's evil plan that actually makes sure that they, that they come true. Verse 21 says, but when Reuben heard it, Reuben was the oldest brother, probably carried a certain degree of authority over the others. When Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let's not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood and throw him into the, the pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. And then we're told the reason, here's what it says, that he, Reuben, might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So, you might think Reuben's a good guy here, right? Like Reuben, Reuben's going to save Joseph's life and he, Reuben wants to take him back to his father. Reuben's got a good heart. I mean, Reuben's in a good place. All the other brothers are wicked, but good old Reuben, you know, actually, if you, if you read earlier, again, I'd have time to go through all of the history, but Reuben has a little bit of an ulterior motive here. See, back in chapter 35, Reuben sleeps with one of his father's concubines. Big no-no. Did I tell you how dysfunctional the family was? right? And so Reuben and his father have had a significantly strained, severed relationship. Reuben may be going, okay, Joseph's the favorite kid who can do no wrong. My dad loves him more than anybody else. If I can rescue and save Joseph, it might just help me in some way, form, or fashion get back into the good graces of my dad. So he does seek to save Joseph's life, but he's got a little bit of an, of an ulterior motive in doing so. 
Verse 23, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. They took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. You see the callousness and the hardened hearts of the brothers. Joseph comes, they kind of beat him up, take his robe, throw him in a pit, and they're just sitting down having lunch while Joseph's over there crying in a pit somewhere. In fact, we know that because later, later we're going to see the brothers say, we ignored his cries. So get the picture. Their younger brother over in a pit crying, and they're just sitting down eating, having lunch. You see the hardness, the callousness of their hearts. I'll just tell you this, like, what you do when you have sort of a hard and a calloused heart may just come back to haunt you, right? The things that you do when you have sort of a hardened and a calloused heart, they may just come back to haunt you. That's indeed the story of Joseph's brothers. It says, so after they sat down to eat and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum and balm and myrrh and on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let's not uh, let our hand not be upon him, for he is our brother. <laughs> you like how he's, you know, um, he's our brother. Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. That's such a better idea. He's our own flesh, and his brothers listened to him. And then the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. That's the price of a common slave. And they took Joseph to Egypt. You can read the rest of the chapter, but some of you know the story. You know what happens. They sell Joseph off to the Ishmaelites. Well, then they take the robe, they kill an animal, they dip the robe in the blood of the animal and take it back to their father, where his father then just assumes that a wild animal has killed Joseph. And, and, and again, it just shows you the cunningness of the brothers. It says that the, it says that the brothers, they consoled their father. You know, they're, they're consoling him. They're, they're mourning along with him. They're living a lie. They're, they're basically living this lie. They know Joseph is not dead, but they tell the father that he's dead, and they go as far as to help weep and mourn and console their father. And they basically live a lie for 20 years. For 20 years, Jacob thinks that his son is dead, and the family just goes along with it and lets him think that for 20 years. I've just got a few uh, points that I, that I really want to drill down on a little bit this morning. This is the story. This is the opening of the life of Joseph. There's a whole lot in chapter 37. The dysfunction of the family is sort of set up and all the, the problems and the issues and the struggle, the, the, the animosity, the brothers want to kill him. They ultimately sell him into slavery. Joseph goes off to Egypt. So what, is, what, can, what can we learn? What can we gain from this. A few things, a few big ideas that I want to just sort of pull out real quick and then we're going to be done this morning. The first one is this. Sin, which is ignored or concealed, usually just leads to more or maybe even greater sin. You see, what happens in our lives is there's a bit of a progression. Sin, we always think that we can sort of manage it or control it. 
We always think that sin, we might even say justify it as little, these are just little sins. These are little, it's not a big deal. It's not really affecting anybody but me. It's fine. And we think we can sort of uh, keep sin in its place in our lives. But the problem is sin doesn't stay put. Sin always grows and it progresses. It has this movement in our lives. That's exactly what happens in the story. It starts out with some favoritism being shown. You might think, okay, a little bit of favoritism, not such a big deal. Man, that turns into some jealousy and bitterness. That turns into anger and animosity. That turns into hatred. Hatred turns into a desire to kill, murder. Now there's murderous intent. Ultimately, then they they sell their brother off, and then they cover it up and live a lie for 20 years. You see, it's... This is what sin does. It just sort of progresses. It progresses. It grows. It festers. I'm telling you, sin that you just ignore in your life, sin that you just conceal, it's not going to stay hidden and concealed forever. It's going to morph. It's going to grow. I could give you numerous examples of this playing out in people's lives that I've seen in the life of our church, in the life of family. You know, the the person that maybe um, is in jail for something horrible like child pornography, I guarantee you they didn't just start out one day looking at child pornography. It probably started out something they felt like was much more innocent and not a big deal, and it just progressed, and there's another click and another click and another click, and then it turns into something. Same thing with people that have sat in my office after having an affair of some sort. No one wakes up one day and goes, you know, I think today I'm going to have an affair. No, it usually starts off with some Other stuff we think is far more innocent, a look, a glance, lust, inappropriate conversation, on and on down the road, and ultimately there is the progression of sin that plays itself out in some sort of an affair. The person that is addicted to drugs, strung out on drugs, they don't don't all of a sudden wake up one day and go, I really want to be addicted to drugs. I'm going to just start doing some sort of heavy... No, it usually starts with a simple choice, a decision, something they feel like is small, simple, and innocent, and it progresses and it grows. And you think about whatever sin comes to mind. uh, I'm telling you, it it starts out small. It starts out maybe you think it's not a big deal, but, but sin doesn't stay put. Sin grows. And so we see from the story of Joseph already in chapter 37 that sin that is ignored or concealed, it doesn't stay put. It usually grows into more sin and even greater sin. That's one of the reasons we we try so hard here in in putting um, boundaries in place, putting ministries in place like Regen. We say, listen, if there's some sin or some stronghold in your life, don't just ignore it and conceal it. Man, we got to drag that stuff into the light. If you want healing and freedom from that stuff, you got to drag it into the light. Man, show up. Regen meets on Monday nights. It's a great place for people that are struggling with sin that's maybe been concealed, and they're going, I'm not going to conceal this stuff anymore. I want freedom from this stuff. And they're going to they're begin to drag that stuff into the light. That's what, that's what the whole ministry is all about. Because sin doesn't stay put. It never, it never stays where you want it to stay. You can't manage it or control it. And if you leave it alone long enough, it will ultimately control and consume you. The second big idea is this idea of bitterness. Man, we see one of the problems in chapter 37 with Joseph's brothers is that they had grown so jealous and so bitter towards their brother. It says Joseph was 17 years old. So my guess is they were bitter for like 17 years, right? 
From a very early age, Joseph was the favorite. The dad gave all of his attention to Joseph. And this just caused animosity and hatred and bitterness to grow in the hearts of his brothers. Here's the thing about bitterness, right? We often seem to think that that bitterness, if we're bitter towards someone else, that in some way it's going to affect them, but it's not going to affect us, right? But here's the thing, like bitterness, it will absolutely take a toll on your heart and it will rob you of your joy. Bitterness will take a toll on your heart and rob you of your joy. You're not, you're not getting at them when you're bitter at them. It's getting at you. I've heard this saying for years. I can't remember who said it, so I'll just say it came from me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, holding on to bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping someone else dies, right? Man, holding on to bitterness in your heart, it's like drinking poison but hoping they die. It just doesn't work that way, Right? When you harbor bitterness in your heart towards someone else, man, it's not getting at them. It's getting at you. It's robbing you. It's killing you. It's destroying your heart. It's causing your heart to become calloused and hardened over time. And so, man, you got you to gotta be able to get to a place in your life where you can offer forgiveness. The only way you're going to be free from your bitterness is forgiveness. And I know that forgiveness is really, really hard. When someone has hurt you, wounded you, betrayed you, um, on and on and on the list goes, man, forgiveness is not simple and it's not easy. And I don't want to stand up here and pretend or make light of anyone's particular situation. But I'm telling you, if you ever want freedom in your own heart and your own soul, if you ever want real joy, you're going to have to get to a place where you can forgive. Forgive doesn't mean, doesn't mean letting them off the hook. Forgiveness doesn't mean condoning or approving of what, whatever happened or whatever they did. Forgiveness doesn't mean they're getting away with anything. Forgiveness is simply you releasing that to God. Forgiveness is you forgiving them, but it's, you don't have to get revenge or get even or make them pay. It's you saying, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, forgive, I'm going to forgive you. And here's how you do that. Paul talks about this in the New Testament. He says that we are to forgive as the Lord Jesus has forgiven us. So what Paul seems to be saying there is, man, the only way you're going to be able to forgive people that have hurt you, wounded you, wronged you, is by remembering that you too are forgiven, right? Is remembering that you too have, have hurt, have wounded. Paul says that while we were enemies of Christ, Christ died for us. So the only way I'm going to have strength to forgive someone that has wounded me, hurt me, and wronged me is by remembering that I too have been forgiven when I didn't deserve it. And God's Holy Spirit is at work inside of me, giving me the strength to forgive someone else so that I don't have to hold on to bitterness and resentment and let that grow and fester in my life, right? When you hold on to bitterness, it's going to take a toll on your heart. It's going to rob you of your joy. It's not going to rob them of theirs. So if I could, again, unpack two really big lessons from chapter 37, or really three. One is that, you know, all families are going to be dysfunctional. I don't want you to get discouraged if you're like, man, my family is really dysfunctional. Read about some of the families in the, of the patriarchs and the, and, the old, and, the, and the people in the Bible. I mean, again, they'll make your family seem really, really awesome, right? <laughs> but really, one of the great lessons and one of the, the, the big things about the story of Joseph is that Joseph didn't let those things, the dysfunction of his family, the brokenness of his family define him. He was able to rise above a lot of that. We'll, we'll unpack that more in the weeks to come. But sin that's ignored and concealed isn't going to just stay put. 
It's going to grow. We got to drag it into the light. And holding on to bitterness is not going to get, uh, get at somebody else. It's going to ultimately get at you. It's going to rob you of your joy. So we got to be able to extend forgiveness and remember that we ourselves have been forgiven. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for this, um, this character in the Old Testament, Lord, that, that just has a lot to teach us. We're thankful, God, that he um, was able to grow and mature, and God, that you were able to use him in some amazing, powerful ways. We're going to see, God, in the weeks to come that his character and his integrity are just unmatched in the Old Testament. And, and so, God, I pray that as we explore the life of Joseph, God, that you might teach us much from his life. Father, today I specifically pray for um, those that, that may be here that just, man, there's some sin that they've been holding on to for a really long time. There's some sin they've just been trying to manage and control. And Lord, I pray today might be a day where, God, you just get a hold of their heart. You remind them that, that sin that's concealed, that's hidden, it just doesn't really stay put. So I pray today might be a day we could drag some of that into the light and begin the process of healing and hope and freedom from that. Father, today we're thankful for Jesus who forgave us. We're thankful for Jesus who went to a cross. While we were enemies, he died for us. And he extended grace and mercy and forgiveness to us. And so, Father, I pray for those that may be holding a grudge or holding on to some bitterness towards someone else, that today might be a day they could let that go and they could extend forgiveness to someone else. That bitterness might not consume and control our lives. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.